back to the scriptures are real. I'm your host today, Lamar Newmeyer, and this is my co-host and regular host, Terry Mulestein. Hi, Lamar. Hi, everyone. You know, I should say your 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 tagline. Uh, um, I should probably get in the habit of repeating that because I like what you say about this. This is the podcast where we learn, draw powers out of the scripture, and make it real to us. Uh, you say it better. How do you say? It? You say a, a regular. Uh, I don't. I think it's a. Uh, but this the that where we try and and uh, make the scriptures become more real because that helps us draw more power out of them and we need all the power we can get yeah. there you so go. i had to I start like... saying it and then it came yeah <laughs> i like the way you say that because that's the point is trying to make these scriptures real to us and make them not just words on the page not just a dusty book not just something that somebody said a long time ago how do they apply to us and um so many times throughout this podcast we've said it i know you've said it with other guests that like hey this is us today this is not a long time ago I always get a kick out of people who um, talk about like, well, the constitution or any, any books like that, you know, these old men, you know, lived hundreds of years ago. And in this case, thousands of years ago, maybe, you know, Yeah. and, you know, and I'm like, well, have we changed at all? Has, yeah. has, has desire, um, love, lust, greed, um, magnanimity has all that has it changed us? Okay. no I, I think yeah. humanity is still humanity. We're, we're the same as uh, we were, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years ago. Yeah, I mean, yes, we have we have uh, iPhones and can split the atom, and we have regular spacecraft, you know, flying uh, around. Uh, but really, have we changed our emotions any? I mean, these people are the same as we are right now, just yep. with different tools, different implements, and different customs. Heartache is still heartache, and joy is still joy, right? Yeah. That's right. When 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 people love us and we love them, we're happy. And when people betray us, we hurt. It's all the same. Very true. Well, today we're going to talk about Hosea, and uh, and and Joel. If we can get to it, we'll see where we get. But Hosea, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to any prophet or anything at all, or to the scriptures. But I was talking to my sister in law the other day. She said I have to give a talk. On Hosea, I mean, she's she's uh, speaks with the stake. She's in a stake calling, and they have their their assignments out quite a few weeks in advance. And she was like, ah, "I got to give a talk on Hosea." And I'm like, "Oh, well, it's funny because Carrie and I are going to go over <laughs> Hosea as well." And uh, and she said, I, "I don't know what to say about this. It's just so heavy." <laughs> and I'm like, "It is. It's it's kind of uh, the, the first several chapters are kind of heavy, kind of dark." Um, and it's hard to get a ray of hope in there if you're just reading the words. So let's today see if we can find the light that's in the dark and the heaviness. It's, it's a little bit, um, a little bit overwhelming if you read that and you think, oh, here we go again. Israel's bad. And by the way, we should set the context. Yeah. A lot of times, um, you know, when we hear these books, we got to keep thinking that these books are happening concurrently, concurrently. So Isaiah is preaching kind of about the same time as all these other prophets are all doing, but it's all different. Right? So it's similar to the old, to the new Testament where you have uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, they're all hearing the same time and they all give their testimony. Well, the old Testament's the same way after you get past Joshua and, and those books that are more historical, we start hearing here's Isaiah's take on things beginning to end. Here's, you know, Daniel's take, you know, those kind of things. So these are happening very similar times. And so, He's kind of rehearsing things we've heard before. We know that the northern kingdom goes off the rails. And sometimes it goes northern kingdom. Sometimes it says Israel. Sometimes it says Ephraim. Yeah. Now, why does it become associated specifically with Ephraim? I'll play the student here for a bit. And uh, the professor, why do, why does it become, why do they call it Ephraim instead of Israel or the northern kingdom? You know, why do we say it that so this is a really common thing among prophetic writers, especially Isaiah, but almost any prophetic writer, where they, they take a part and they use that part to refer to the whole. So uh, it, Judah often is used to refer to all of the tribes. There are actually more than two tribes in that southern kingdom in a lot of ways. But anyway, to re refer to the southern kingdom, and Ephraim is the kind of lead tribe in the northern kingdom and so as a result they'll often refer to, to ephraim uh you know just a little bit like uh we'll often say lebron james and the lakers right uh, and you know we we think of the most prominent element of that group and then we just refer to that element and so ephraim is often uh what they people refer to when they mean ephraim manasseh and the whole gang right 
And, and I'll also say, I think you have a really important point with this, um, the idea of, of the concurrent prophets. One of the, the difficulties, so we're just reading the, the Old Testament straight through in the order it is in those books. One of the difficulties is that the books aren't in chronological order. Right. So Amos is actually earlier. We don't know exactly when Joel is, so he may be around this time period. Um, he may be, we, we, we really don't know, but Amos is earlier than Isaiah and Hosea, <clears throat> but Hosea overlaps with Amos. Maybe Amos overlapped with Isaiah a little bit, but probably not, but it's just somewhere right in there. Might, maybe a little bit, but Hosea and, and Amos, or I mean, Hosea and Isaiah overlap quite a bit. Hosea starts a little bit before Isaiah, but, uh, but a good chunk of Hosea's ministry Isaiah is also prophesying, but there's something really interesting and unique about Hosea and that he is a, a northern kingdom prophet prophesying primarily to the northern kingdom. And he's the only real example we have of that. I mean, it's maybe Joel, because, again, we don't know anything about where Joel lived or who he was or what his time period is. But uh, Hosea is the one that we know for sure was in the northern kingdom prophesying to the north. My guess would be that if we had all the northern kingdom records, because our record is really the records of the southern kingdom. Right. If we had all the northern kingdom records, we'd probably have more. So, so, for example, the brass plates, they're from the tribe of Manasseh. They were northern kingdom records. And we've got Zenos and Zenic and Nehem and others on there that are probably northern kingdom prophets that we don't have in the Bible because the southern kingdom writers or, or you know and leaders didn't keep track of these northern kingdom prophets. But for some reason, they did with Hosea. And I'm grateful because my reaction actually is I love Hosea. I think yeah. Hosea gives more hope than just about any other book of the Bible. Okay, uh, and good. so he's the one prophet that I, I will usually have my students. I try and have uh, when we're doing historical readings, we stop and we read the prophets associated with those historical times. But we take Hosea out of order and we do them early on first uh, when we get to those prophets, because I feel like if you can understand Hosea, you really understand the rest of the Old Testament. In some ways, he's the key to understanding all of the Old Testament. And, and I think it's uplifting. So. Let's let's help your sister-in-law. You can give her a sneak preview of this. Excellent. Well, you know, I did, and I got it. Okay, so this wasn't supposed to be a, a product pitch, but what I did is I we had talked. Um, I didn't know this, but we talked before this, and I was we were talking about the word hesed, and yeah. um, and we talked a lot about that in. Uh, you've talked about it in, in many of your podcasts. We've talked about it in some of the ones that we've done together, and um, President Nelson has talked a lot about hesed, um, and there isn't as as a President um, Nelson points out there isn't a great translation. It's translated sometimes loyalty, sometimes mercy, sometimes loving kindness. There's a, there's many different many different um, uh, translations yeah, for it. Yeah. yeah, in English, but there isn't really words. So, how, how would you describe it uh, in in the in the Hebrew? How do you read? It? So, um, Chesed, I would say means. Um, a special kind of love and mercy available only in a covenant. It's covenantal love and mercy, the unending, unbreakable covenantal love and mercy. Let's let's put it that way. So okay. yeah, once like you've made a covenant with God. So this is a phrase that I've used all the time that if, if you'll read um, like really for like, I think the first time I used it was in that class you had for me in my first Old Testament class way, way, way back in 94. Um, and and you'll note President Nelson uses it in his article in the Leahona in October, um, but he, he cites my book. He's getting some of this from there. But um, so he uses that exact same phrase. And it's this, that when you when you make a covenant, you leave neutral ground forever. Right. And God will never stop having chesed towards you or this covenantal love and mercy. That's both good and bad. It's good because he will never give up on you. And it's bad because he'll never give up on you, which means he's going to keep trying no matter what. It maybe is kind of like an unconditional love. You think about the unconditional love you have for your children. The love that you have that you have for them is not conditional from them doing it. However, how happy you are with them at any given time can be, you know, yeah. dependent on that. If they're disobeying, if they're disobedient, if they're destructive, that kind of thing. It's not yeah. that you don't love this child. It's that they are yeah. causing disruption with the rest of the family. Yeah, you wish for their sake and the sake of those around them. Right. That they were doing something a little bit different. They're not cut off from love, but, but, uh, so anyway, I recommended your book and I have your book here <laughs> for those who are, who are not, or who are listening only. This is Carrie's book, God Will Prevail, uh, by Carrie Mulestein. And in the first chapter, it talks a lot about Hesed in here. 
and um, and about the covenant path. And, and let's get into that in just a minute. But what happened is I, I was saying, I think there is some light to be had in here, but you're right. When we start off, I mean, it, right out the gate, it's like, hey, Hosea, you're going to have a tough life. You're going to marry yeah. this lady and she's going to leave you and then come back and then things happen and all this just and and the, the the spirit stops striving with the with the children of Israel and it's you're beyond repair at this point you know that kind of thing and yeah. I'm like there is some things in there but it's in I we you and I had talked about this before and I said Carrie's book talks a little bit about it and so I said I think I have a you know some snippets of it around here but I don't have the book and so two days later it showed up from Amazon in the, in the mail your hard copy book. But that's good because I hadn't read the whole thing. I know we talked about that, but anyway. So, yeah, and there's actually in the appendix of that, there's a good chunk on Hosea and, and the covenant about uh, what Hosea teaches about the covenant. So it's a so good Hosea good. reading. That's going to be the bright spot is that this Hesed does take over, even though Hosea is going to lay out a little bit of a, a rough road. Yeah. But the, but where's the bright spot then where do you find the well let's let, uh, before we get to that let's, yeah let's we'll, we'll get to the bright spot as we go along it's let's it's, see a few bright spots so let's start off in chapter in out. <laughs> right let's start off in chapter one um hosea first of all comes off to no okay so i'm going to be the seminary student here if i'm reading here in my class when i was teaching seminary um if i read the first two verses uh i might be in in hosea one i might be a little thrown off the word, laid came, word of the Lord came unto Hosea, the son of Bear. Bear, Bear how do you say that? Baeri. Baeri. Okay, so whenever you see it, like a two things together, it's kind of like Baal. Anyway, in the yeah, days of Uzziah, Joseph, yeah. yeah, the kings of Judah and the Jeroboam, the sons of Josh. In the beginning of the word of the Lord, Hosea said, Go take the wife of whoredoms and the children of whoredoms and the land of committed whoredoms. All right, first two, you've already got me like, what in the world is going on here? The yeah, Lord it's... says to a prophet, Hey, Go down and take a wife of the whoredoms. Give us a hint on that. Why would he do such a thing? Yeah, and I, to me, this is beautiful, but I know this is part of why a lot of people struggle with the book. Uh, they really do. So let's address, there are plenty of people who would say this is only symbolic. He doesn't really do this. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, it's going to be very clear very soon in the book that, that God is comparing uh, his wife, Gomer, to Ephraim. And that he's primarily talking about Ephraim when he's talking about Gomer. And sometimes he just stops talking about Gomer and he's only talking about Ephraim, right? And by Ephraim, we mean all of the northern kingdom or the kingdom right, of Israel. Right. Israel, kingdom of Israel. So some people would argue that this is purely symbolic and it doesn't really happen. Um, I think that's a possibility. I think it's more likely that the Lord did have his prophets engage in symbolic action as prophecy incredibly frequently. And we just had an episode on Ezekiel where that's all I talked about, like the symbolic action. Um, right, the stick, uh, joining the stick together. Yeah, and, and laying siege people. to a little model that he makes of Jerusalem and cutting his hair off and all these things, right? That, right. So we can't say, or he tells Jeremiah not to marry as part of a prophecy, right? So we, we can't say that the Lord might not ask his prophets to do strange and difficult things, right? He asked Isaiah to go naked around Jerusalem for a long time, right? Right. This is, he, he might ask his prophets to do strange and difficult things as part of a powerful prophecy to others and to us, because that symbolic action spoke so powerfully to them. And so I, I think it's likely that this really happened, but maybe it's, it's just symbolic. In the end, what they intend for us, whether it's real or not, they intend for us to think of it as if it is and learn from it what we can. So we're just going to talk about it like it really happened. I, I think it did, whether it did or not. That's how we're supposed to talk about it. So Yeah, they're visual learners. That's the why they have the, the tearing of the clothes, the renting of the clothes, and the sackcloth yeah. and ashes where you actually put ashes on your face. They're visual learners. They, they are very heavily re uh, reliant on symbols. Yeah. Again, we have the sacrifices where you actually sacrifice the lambs so they can see what's happening. So that is how the, the Lord teaches the people in this era. So yeah. So does he is is Gomer a real person, do you think then? I, I think she probably is. And you have to kind of jump to chapter three. So chapter three is almost like the verse two is the very small version of what he's told to do in chapter three. Chapter three is the longer version where it kind of tells the story of him doing what he was told in chapter verse uh, chapter one, verse two. Um, 
and uh, so it seems like in chapter one, they just wanted to get into the symbolism real quickly and then they get to the story. Right. So but but to me, it's incredibly touching, actually, because what chapter three lets us know is that this is a, a harlot who's a, she's a slave. I don't think she's had a lot of choice in being a harlot. Um, it seems like she is, is a slave who's been forced into doing that and go or uh, Hosea is told to go and redeem her, meaning to buy her freedom. So mm -hmm. she doesn't have to be a harlot anymore and then to marry her. And that is that message of redemption. Like it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You can be redeemed and become someone that a prophet can marry. And then, as we'll see, she'll mess up again and still you can be taken back in. That is such a powerful message to me. Uh, it gives me hope for whatever little and big dingy things I've done in the past. Sure. Uh, we can all be redeemed. Right. And that's that's powerful. And and let's think about that as we look at other people. Like, you, you know, you see somebody on the street that clearly made some bad choices or in whatever in the news, whatever, clearly made some bad choices. However, are they beyond redemption? Are they beyond the power of God to, to redeem? No, they're no. not. They're not. Even, in fact, they might I have would a hard. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say they, they might have a hard road. They might have some things to atone for, you know, the, some to work through. Uh, it may not be an easy road to come back. It may not be quick. Um, but the Lord has this kind of relationship with all of us. And, yeah. you know, where, whatever state we're in, the, the skin, sins may be as scarlet, right? You know, so this, this is an uplifting thing. Gomer is probably not the most attractive. Um, well, maybe she is attractive. I don't know. Maybe she's super attractive. Yeah. But as far as a candidate for marriage, maybe not someone you'd wish for your son, maybe at first. Yeah. Um, but, there's a, again, they're making a point here. Uh, you know, the, the, the book is making the point and the Lord is making the point by using, well, that's a tough calling. <laughs> the Lord says, yeah. Hey, you're going to be a prophet, by the way, <laughs> go grab the slave. And, you know, okay, yeah. this is tough stuff. So it is. But he, but he's, he's called to be a, a, a prophet to some people who are really off the rails. And they, if you haven't listened to it, um, to Carrie's uh, other, I can't remember which, uh, which, if it was a solo cast that you did on your own or if it was somebody, but you went through some of the groves of, of Baal and how bad it had really gotten. I mean, some yeah. of these things were just like gut turning, like the, what they were doing. And not only were they doing it like out in the open and right there, they were, some of the, the temples are commingled. Yeah. And then when they get some blessings from God, there's they're rescued from something. They give the, 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 uh, give the, the credit to Baal or Baal. And I'm like, ah, oh, I, I mean, it's really, you, if you haven't listened to that audience, go back and, and find some, if you can remember which one it was where you went through some of the things that they did, it's really uh, gut turned. I, I don't remember which one I know, uh, at least a little bit of, we talked about in Ezekiel with the, the, uh, grove, uh, or maybe it was Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah, the grove in the, uh, uh, temple. So there, I mean, they've got uh, an Ashra or a, a, a fertility. I would, I would guess they've got fertility rituals they're doing in the temple. And uh, yeah, and we're, and and so we're talking maybe 20, 30 feet away from the, the, the temple of, of, or uh, in the temple, it would seem. I mean, yeah, it talks I mean, about from one, the altar is what I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just crazy. I mean, it's terrible. But some of the things yeah. you mentioned in there, and it's just these people are really off the rails as far as morality yeah. goes. They have really taken a, a big turn. And um, yeah. And to key off what you're saying, I mean, uh, I think it's worth thinking through that some of, of what they're doing, we look at them and say, what are you thinking? And yet we have our own way of doing it. So, uh, I mean, right. so we, we, we may not be, well, some might, but I think most uh, audience members are not involved in fertility rituals. But, um, but we have other things that the world has told us this is how you do it, you achieve this. And uh, and we believe it. And when it happens in our life, we say, see, the world was right when those things didn't come from the world. Right. So I, we're not we're not that far. I was also going to say, as we were talking about the redemption of Gomer, I would guess that there are members of this audience who have children or grandchildren who they're heartbroken over the choices that those children and grandchildren are making. Mm -hmm. And uh, looking at the message of Hosea overall and specifically gomer uh, i hope will give them uh, great hope and peace because no one it, it will make it very clear i think just the redemption of gomer makes it so clear no one is so far gone 
that God can't work with them and bring them back. And that's a message that so many of us need right now as we see what loved ones are doing. So what can we do? I mean, when we see these loved ones go off the rails, um, do we go kidnap them, put them in a, uh, put them in, a in, in an outdoor camp, you know, where they, they got to live off the land for a while? So that's a great question. In fact, you remind me, I just got this email yesterday that I haven't even responded to yet. Um, but someone who says that uh, as we look at uh, some of the things I've written in that book uh, about covenant being a family affair and and salvation being something, you know, that, that God asked families to help each other with and then go reach out to others and help others with. And they said, OK, but we have some family members who are taking that to mean that you just uh, have to be judgmental and you have to always be telling people who have made different choices that their choices are wrong and so on. And uh, I think that the answer has to be, you better find out from the spirit how to do this. Mm-hmm. You better, uh, it, it, different things will have to happen, even with the same person. You'll have to act, act differently at different times. I would guess most of the time, we're just going to need to act in, in pure love. And uh, well, we'll always have to act in pure love. Uh, sometimes we might have to lovingly say, okay, you should know, I, I don't think that's going to bring you happiness. Probably we don't need to say that too often right but uh right i, I always uh remember i had uh, a dear friend at, at byu hawaii whose uh, son was not anything terrible but he had some very different views than his father but i noticed how well they got along and his father didn't bring it up much when his son was going on and on and on about stuff i knew his father disagreed with and he said <laughs> he knows my views he doesn't need to be reminded every time he right. knows what i think and i thought right. oh there's some wisdom to that um so he didn't agree with him, but he didn't argue uh, anyway. But I would guess that there were times where the spirit moved him to say, OK, we got to talk. Right. Uh, so you're going to have to have the spirit with you if you're going to redeem Gomer. You're going to have to know when to let her go for a while and when to go get her back. Right. I, I think uh, one of my very favorite instructional scriptures on uh, on the priesthood and, and the proper use um, is in uh, DNC 133. Um, I, I'm sorry, not 133. 121. Um, yeah, 121, sorry, where it says reprove betimes with sharpness, and sharpness meaning clarity, not necessarily yeah. mean it, sharpness, right. clarity, whatever, but reprove time with sharpness when moved upon by the Holy Ghost. When moved upon by the Holy Ghost, that doesn't mean that you got to go spout it off all the time. Yeah. You know, it's much better, in my opinion, to let your actions be, your your example be your words. You, yeah. He knows what I believe. That's what, you know, your friend yeah. said. He knows what I believe. So we don't need to go correct them all the time or, or do those things. Your actions will speak that, but you've got to live your actions also. And if there's a time when the spirit moves on you to, to reprove them, okay. Or, and it might not be your stewardship either. I mean, yeah. maybe when your children are younger, you can reprove with sharpness. Maybe when you're, um, you know, when they're adults. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But you know, oftentimes it's not our, it's not our place to, to yeah. put them in their place. You let your actions speak. And uh, and then you do that. I think that one of the keys to to doing like um, to redeeming, like we're talking about redeeming Gomer here, is to just keep including him, keep including him in, yeah. in family get-togethers and family whatever you know, family letters, whatever those kind of things. Reach out to reach out to him more, you know. Yeah. And it doesn't have and to in be love. about and in love, right? It doesn't have to be about this or reproving or any of those kind of things. It can be just about how are you and what you do and you know. How are you enjoying the park with your children? I don't know. Whatever it would be that you can keep including them and keep working with them like the Lord here is continuing, even though he knows that some of these people are not going to come back. He still sends prophets to them. Yeah. They still try. They still are working with them um, yeah. to do what they can and save who they can. And sometimes they there are people that come back. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say, and this might be, uh, this is a little maybe tangential, but but you brought up section 121 and mm-hmm. uh, re- reproving when moved upon by the Spirit. If I if I had uh, one thing that, uh, if I could just choose one do-over for have, being a parent with young children, my children are, are, four of them are out of the house now and two of them are in high school, right? They're getting close to being an empty nester. Uh, if I could go back and do one thing differently when they were little, there were plenty of times where I I told them what I think they needed to hear, mm-hmm. but I'm not really sure I had the spirit with me when I did it, that I wasn't mm-hmm. being moved upon by the Holy Ghost, right? So I, I may have been right in what I said, but not 
doing it with the spirit was probably still the wrong thing then right and and uh uh, I don't know. I mean, you can't go back and do overs and you just pray God heal all the messes I made or whatever else. Right. But, right. uh, and I don't think I was like ter- terribly mean or anything like that. But, uh, as I'm a little bit older, I figured out, huh, I, I probably could have waited and, and tried to have the spirit with me rather than just said the right thing at the, ex- at that exact moment, rather than, um, than waiting to to have the spirit with me anyway wait now so are you saying that parents uh just because by the by the the fact of being a parent they're not perfect they're not benevolent all the time <laughs> well is that what you're saying my, my wife is but not me. <laughs> so, yeah so, uh, most parents aren't she's the only one probably but anyway I, I, uh, that's true well look uh, part of this forgiveness business by the way let's give everybody a break i mean let's, yeah. let's cut a lot of slack for people let's not be judgmental but that that applies to our parents I, my mom and ourselves as parents that's yeah. exactly right i will say my mom wasn't always right on things but man she was right on more things than than i gave her credit for at the time and yeah. on the whole she did the right thing now yeah. and they were know, trying and we're trying sure and we're exactly it's all a spectrum of, of trying there's only one perfect uh perfect being or perfect father in this in this scenario and we're not him not yet so we gotta we got a long ways to go and so let's um Let's let's give everybody a little bit of a break, and then so let's get so back to chapter three here. Yeah. Chapter three talks about um, it's and again you said it it takes you know chapter or chapter one verse two it spells out, but it's still by the way chapter three is only five verses, so yeah. it's still not very long, but it says this is what the it spells out what he should do. So he goes and claims Gilmer, and. Now, again, metaphorical or not, it does seem like this really happens. And that at one point, she leaves him and goes back to those ways. Yeah. And that's I, you the know, heartbreaking part of this story, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Uh, I, have you, I don't know if you've watched The Chosen. Um, yeah. have you, and I think this is good. Now, again, there's some literary license in there, but I think they do a pretty good job of capturing the essence in there. And there's a point where Mary... Mm-hmm. leaves the group just doesn't think so and she goes now what the actual scriptural reference is maybe maybe not it maybe didn't happen that way we don't know but yeah. the idea that people are still people and still struggle she goes back to her old ways for a little bit i think as far as a visual representation that was a good episode where you see her struggle with those things and they come back and like hey mary get back over here come on everything's cool you know you're not yeah. cast off just because you made a mistake or because you Went back and again. Uh, did that really happen to Mary? I don't know. Did it really happen to Gomer? I, I'm not sure. Um, we don't know exactly. But if we're going to follow the the narrative and the storyline that we're looking at as a as a reference for all of us in our lives, the redemption part is what we look back. Look, you can come back, even though you had a horrible life before. You had a relapse. You still can come back. It's all right. You still can come back. Yeah. And whether it really happened to Mary or Gomer, it has really happened to lots of people. Oh, yeah. And, and it's happening and right now. That's right. And you can always come back, especially once you've made a covenant because of this chesed that we've talked about. Right. It's so true for talk- everyone, but especially true for covenant holders. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the covenant. So in the in President Nelson's talk, now you, you reference a lot of your book here on President Nelson's talk about that. Or I don't know who's quoting who here on this one. But um, <laughs> but uh, um. You're quoting some, there's a part here. I'm going to read this part from your book. Um, it said, God not only binds us to him, but he's also, str- but it is if he straps us to his back and takes us where only he can go. So I, I think about this a lot. And we talked about it some when we did, uh, when we talked, it was in um, Samuel. And I talked about the, uh, the uh, hymn about uh come thou fount of every blessing and we talk about that uh we talked about the ebenezer and anyway in that hymn he says um uh bind me like a fetter and a fetter is a bond or a chain or yeah i kind of a handcuff a shackle yeah a shackle yeah and so bind me like a fetter and these are terms you typically think of as like the the chains they're holding me down that you know they're holding me back they're binding me but that's not at all the binding that the covenant is talking about here. This is binding him to him like help and hope and and uh, and taking him with you. So that's why he says, 
bind my wandering heart like a fetter. He's saying, don't let me stray. Don't let me go away. Don't let me get lost. Pull me back in. That's the covenant we were talking about. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. So we can look at that. Uh, there's some real strong covenant phraseology uh, here in the first little bit of, of Hosea. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's It's got heartbreaking stuff in it, but it's always like so quickly followed by, by hope. So uh, let's look at Hosea and Gomer and their children. So we've got already this, this image of the redemption of Gomer, but then they start to have children. And the names of the children are, are, are all downer names, yeah. but they all will be turned into good, but they're all downer. Yeah. So the first one is Jezreel. And this right. is because Jehu had killed uh, so many people, uh, I mean, some of them he was supposed to, but seems like he, well, I think he got carried away, but anyway, uh, in, in the, uh, city of Jezreel, that's in the Valley of Jezreel. And so it's a prophecy that that's going to come to, to be a problem for Jehu's dynasty. And then they have another child and her name is Lo Ruhamah, which means no mercy. So that's not chesed. This is the word for just mercy. It's not the covenantal mercy, but it gets used for covenant holders a lot, but right. Lo means no. So Lo Ruhamah means no mercy. That's the name. How would you like to name your daughter? No mercy. I know. Yeah. Hey, your life. Your name is life stinks. You're, you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Your but, name is no redemption. So anyway. Yeah. The, yeah. And the, and the prophecy is if you. Oh, sorry. What? No, I was just saying this. It's, it's a rough name to give to your kids. I mean, what do you yeah. want them to grow up as? But but again, these are visual learners. And so anyway. Yeah. But it does have to be a tough name to have. Maybe had, had uh, a, well, Maher Shalal Hashbaz is destruction yeah. is imminent, you know. So how yeah, would you like yeah. to be? How'd you like to be knows that we had a our young daughter, um, Marin. Uh, we used to call her the destroyer because I don't know where she she could just somehow break whatever was in her hand or anything near her. She just somehow <laughs> was able, and we called her the destroyer. So I guess she turned out okay. I mean, she's yeah. 14 now, so you know, <laughs> I guess it's not the worst, but anyway, yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry, back to your thing. So, no mercy, uh, low, uh, low yeah. Ruhama. Yeah, and okay. if you look there at verse 6, he says, For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. So this yes. is a prophecy that the house of Israel is going to be destroyed and scattered. And we we have to keep in mind that God plays a long game, all right? And that's going to be the theme of this. So we're going to come back to the hope. But, but he's also making it very clear to them, destruction is coming. Now, I want to put this in a different context. We did Isaiah, and we noted some prophecies where Isaiah said, Judah is going to be destroyed. Hezekiah is going to die and things like that. And then Hezekiah repents. Judah repents. And God says, okay, you're not going to be destroyed. Or Jerusalem, at least, isn't going to be destroyed. Right. right. So some of these prophecies, if people will repent, can be averted. There are prophecies about what happens if you don't repent. Just most of the time, people ignore it. And so they, they come true. So, uh, And in this one will come true. Uh, God, so the, the mercy of God, he is delivered them despite their wickedness he has delivered them again and again and again and again and he's saying not this time we have to take a different tack and we're going to talk about that as we go along all right so there's no no mercy we get verse eight uh, or yeah um yeah. verse nine so we get a son and then a daughter and now another son in verse eight yeah yeah uh, she conceives and bears a son in verse nine and the, uh, then said god call his name lo ami so am is people it's the word used for like the covenant people mm -hmm. and e is, means mine and low is not so not my people and then he says and this is heartbreaking to me for ye are not my people and i will not be your god those are the phrases that i am your god and you're my people those are the phrases that define the covenant more than anything else and if you've heard me talk about the covenant you've heard me talk about how the primary aspect of the covenant is a relationship with god and the primary way that's referred to is this, this phrase i am your god you are my people and so when he says, you are not my people, I will not be your God, he is saying, you have broken the covenant so completely that there are no more covenant promises for you. Now, that's not completely true because of chesed. There's always some in the future. But for right this moment, I'm withdrawing all of the covenant promises because you've broken this so thoroughly. And I have to say, this is a phrase I hope I never, ever ever hear God say to me, you are not my person and I am not your God, right? Again, even if he said it, it wouldn't mean that it's all over, 
but it means I've broken things so seriously that it's over for a time. I think basically that's that's kind of the phrase for like excommunication or something like that. Like this covenant is over. You can come back into it, but right now it's over. And right. that's so, what he's telling them when he says lo ami. Okay, so th that's a good point. Because we just talked about you're never too far to go back. But here he says, is he saying it's you're, you've gone too far, you can't come back? So I don't think he's he's saying you can't come back, but he is saying the, the, right now the covenant is not in force and you are going to suffer all the consequences of that loss of covenant. Uh, I, I think that's what he's saying. And sometimes that's how it is. I mean, as parents and sometimes, uh, you know, God with all of Israel, but you think of it as a parent, there are times where you try and shield your children. There are times where you have to say, for your own good, you're going to have to live with this consequence. And I can't take this consequence away. It's it's this is just how it is. Right. And I you think know, that's exactly what he's saying here. I think so, too. The excommunication is a good is a good um, is a good uh, analogy or um, parallel, I guess. And because excommunication yeah. is not permanent. No, it's not the end. In fact, we we are trying the, the reason. For anything we do along those lines is to try and help someone repent. And if that's the step that will best help them repent, then that's the step that you take trying to get them to come back. And that's right. exactly what's happening here. In fact, so I think verse nine is like maybe the saddest verse in all of the Old Testament where he says, you're not my people and I will not be your God. But look at what he says immediately after this. Verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And the place uh, where you said to them, you're not my people. There it shall be said to them, ye are the sons or ye are the children. I think it's a better translation. The children of the living God. So immediately, as soon as he says, I'm telling you that the covenant's over right now. But I'm also telling you that that's not forever. That very soon, because uh, having children as the sand of the sea and not being able to number them is also a very strong covenant phrase. Right. So he's immediately says, no, but you're going to get the covenant blessings again. So fully that it's not just going to be my people, you're going to be my children. And this is a phrase that's that's tied up with covenant uh, frequently. These, these born again phrases where you become the children of God in a different way than you were before. And that's really part of what the covenant is, is you're, you're a new person created by God in a different way. So your children. So I love that as soon as he says it's over, he says it's not all the way over. I am going to bless you again. But right now, this is how things are. Right. And and that's a great point, because. Um, you know, we talk about, uh, again, excommunication is not, is not, uh, is not a permanent thing. You, you serve as a bishop and I've served in a bishopric before, and we read the handbook from cover to cover, uh, and, uh, while I was in there. And one of the things we came across was the, the church discipline courts yeah. and which is now called the uh, membership councils, I membership think. councils. Yeah. Right. So, but the point was that these are not punishments not supposed to be punishments. They're supposed to be acts of love. And you need to know yes. where you're at at some point. And if you've missed a certain point, there's a reason why you're here. And there's three reasons that's laid out in the, in the, in the manual. It was to protect yeah. the innocent or to protect the victims. It's to, to protect the name of the church and so forth. But those things again are not permanent. And I know a guy personally who went through this and wrote a great book, Stephen Kramer. If you've ever heard of Stephen Kramer, mm -hmm. that was a pen name. And uh, that wasn't his, his real name, but he was told, well, this is, man, I was maybe 10 or 11 or 12 and this was my best friend's dad. Mm. He was excommunicated and he had a, a long road back. He had been a bishop, so it was not great, but he came back. But I remember watching him struggle. He sat right up front with his great big large family on the second row, uh, right behind the deacons every week, the whole time, even oh. though he felt bad and everything. It, it, was, it was a terrible thing. And I was there because I was there while he wrote his books. I mean, I was with his son. We were teenagers at the time. And sometimes he'd have his books, you know, for computers, and he would have them spread out on note cards everywhere. And he wrote these books while he was helping, while he was going through this, and after he was rebaptized and came back. Um, and then he wrote these books about this, and he helped out scores of, I don't even, I can't tell you how many people would yeah. come to him on a regular basis. He was he was helping other people through this That's to get one of his books. So, again, right here in the middle of, of, uh, of talking about, hey, you're cut off, and you, I will no longer be your God. It's not a permanent thing. And we talked about this also back when we talked about Noah and the flood. Yeah, you know, and like we we talked about those people being cut off. I mean, that it a lot of people got wiped out, 
but they aren't wiped out, not to God. They are not lost because yeah. there is more to than just this little life that we have here. There's not just a few, whatever, whatever you want to call it, a couple a hundred years, let's say. Yeah. So there's more to life than that. And like I said, the, the Lord plays a long game, even if it is beyond your mortal life. Yes. Not God. And in, in this case, um, Israel, beyond it might be, they might be cut off then. And maybe some people do come back. Maybe some people come back individually. But as a group, the northern kingdom does not make, they get scattered. The, uh, to, you know, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they all come in and they're wiped out. But they're not lost to God. And eventually these people come back. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see that in Hosea. He, he addresses that. That's right. Yeah. So I like and, it. and, and maybe I'll, I'll just address a little bit more of what you were talking about with the, the excommunication, because that third reason is to help the person repent, right? That's to help and, the person repent, right? I'm sure. And I've yeah. been involved in a number of disciplinary councils uh, from even when we were in a bishop, well, we were in a ward together. You were the uh, uh, one of the, like a membership clerk, I think, or something. Anyway, and I was right. the clerk, and so I was in councils then, and have been elsewhere. I've never been in a place where I felt that much love ever. It is the most loving meetings I have ever, ever been in. Have all, all if you were to ask me to list the most love I've ever felt uh, from a group, from God, most power of the atonement, uh, all the top five would all be disciplinary council meetings. Uh, and, and so I think that's important to recognize that, that that's true why, for individuals. Why did you, I can tell you my experience, but you tell me why you thought. I think it's because that's what their purpose is, is to, to help people repent. And you start to get real direction from God. And as you get that real direction, you feel the way God feels. And it's love. Yeah, right. I think that's I thought too. I've sat with these councils as well. And it is not, you, no one's trying to dish out wrath or anything. It, like, no. <laughs> the, all I can think is like, geez, that could be me. That could have been me. I mean, I've been plenty yeah. of, you know, areas where, this way or that way anyway terrible it, as it might be to see them in this everybody is focused on that coming back there, no one's yeah. mad about that no one's trying to like you know scorn people you're not trying to stone them or anything. nothing. no no it, it, and it's not disappointment it's it's happiness that we're trying to fix it the peak yeah because the people are there typically now i mean there might be other ones that yeah. the people there typically are trying to get back on the path mm-hmm. if they don't want to be a part of it and they take their name off the records that's that okay so and We'll still talk to them, whatever, see them at Fry's or, or the grocery store, you know, still talk to them. About Everything's great. But in this case, well, those people come back to the council are trying to come back. And then exactly that, even though they've been, they're going to be cut off for a season in some things. And they're not cut off from the fellowship of the church. Uh, they can be restricted in some things, but they still can come to church. I mean, yeah. you're my friend, you know, Stephen Kramer, his name is Gerald, actually, but he's right there with his whole family on the front row right there sat there with his head down. He was kind of that kind of way. He just, but, but he was a real nice guy, but he sat there right in the front row every, every week, all of it, always there. He was at the, at the, at the meetings and, and get togethers. And he came back and all the people that he brought with him. So great. It's, it's beautiful. And so that's really is the story of Hosea. Uh, if we were to keep going, um, look at, at the very next verses in chapter two, saying to your brethren, Ami, and unto your sisters, Ruhama. right? So yes, there was a time where there was no, you were not my people and there was no mercy. But now he's saying, it's like he's changing their names. And it is my people and it is mercy. Um, and then then I love and uh, we'll just summarize a couple of verses and read a few verses. But uh, he, he talks about how she goes and plays the harlot. Um, and look at verse five. For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me bread and my water and my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. So she she's decided to go back to being a harlot because she liked the payoff. Yeah. She liked the things that it gave her. Right. So now look at God's response. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall and she shall not find her paths and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them and she shall seek them and not find them. And then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. See, you see what he's saying? Uh, if she's leaving me, if she's leaving you, Hosea, but think of Ephraim leaving him or all of Israel leaving God, right? But if, if Gomer left you because she wanted to get all of these things, then I'll just make it so she doesn't get those things. And right. then she'll remember 
you did take care of her and she right. was happy with you and she'll come back. And that is what God does with all of us as individuals and Israel as a whole. That's what the part of what the, the destruction and scattering of Israel is about. Part of it is so that they can be all around the whole world. And as they come back, they can bring the world with them. But part of it is if you aren't responding when I'm working with you gentle, we have to take this step where I will just make you miserable. In other words, I withdraw all the things I was giving you that made you happy. And when you realize how miserable you are without it, and then you'll remember how happy you are with me and you'll come back to me. And I do that for your own good. That's a beautiful message. And it explains the entire Old Testament. It explains the Book of Mormon. It explains almost everything God does with us. He's just doing whatever it takes to help us come back to him. He makes it possible through his son, Jesus Christ, but he's doing whatever it takes to help us come back to him. And a lot of times that is helping us recognize how miserable it is without him and how great it is with him, which is the same thing I think President Nelson was saying in his last uh, talk in general conference, the, the the Sunday morning one, where he said, you seek these things from the world, you're going to find they don't deliver. But right. God does. Yeah, and we see that in the parable of the prodigal son. He goes after yeah. all these things. He's, you know, he, he squanders his inheritance and goes out there and he finds that, you know, he, he would have had it way better off being a servant and eating what the pig sloth, you know, the pig sloth than he did out there in the world. And yeah. they don't deliver. So he comes back. So that's great. And so we return to the covenant. And in your book here, God Will Prevail, and also what President Nelson's talking about is the covenant. And I know you've gone over through it before, but we should talk about um, uh, the covenant and, and what it means. You know, we talk about, well, this might be a longer discussion than we can get into the part of Hosea, but the covenant is one covenant. Yes. It's one covenant. It has different names and there's different I don't know how phases stages. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's a good way to say it. So it has one, but it is one covenant. It's the covenant of eternal life that is offered to us. If we follow the path leads to it. Joseph Smith says that he says, um, that the, you know, that, uh, happiness is the design of our existence. If we follow the path leads to it. So, um, that's the covenant. The covenant is I will give you these things. If you follow it, it's the Abrahamic covenant. You inherit the whole earth. You inherit everything that God has if you follow that path. But there are several different phases as we learn and grow in yeah. that covenant. And we talked about I this. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that the President Nelson brings us out in that talk. Um, and, I, you know, I have that talk. I had it here a minute ago. Um, is it called? What's it called? It's called The Everlasting Covenant. Um, oh yeah, his article on the Liahona October. And the Liahona, yeah, and yeah. and he's he's given the same talk several more times on the same theme, but the, the yeah. original one is called uh, the Everlasting Covenant, and he mentions in there, uh, President Nelson does that the Everlasting Covenant, even though we call it the New and Everlasting Covenant, it's not really new. It's it, in the same way that the New Testament is new because it was to those people when Jesus was there. It's still the Testament. The Old Testament testifies of Jesus Christ in different terms. And then the New Testament, and we have the Book of Mormon. None of these replace each other. They're not new. They're different. They're the same message in different ways and to different people. So they have a different name and they have a different you know, connotation to those particular people. But it's the same covenant. It's the same words all the way through. All these things are to lead us back to God, to the, the Savior, which leads us back to God. All those things are the same covenant, which we have the whole time. It's not new. It's not different. It's only new in the sense of it's new to you because you're you are now rediscovering what I told Abraham, what I told Jacob, Isaac, all these people. Same same covenant. Yeah, I would agree. And and we're going to see that covenant language again and again and again in Hosea. Uh, there's there's one phrase I think uh, before we move on, we probably want to move to chapter six and fourteen here yeah, pretty soon. But six is what I want to hit. So you go first. Yeah, but but uh, there's one line in verse two I want to make sure we cover. So after he's saying he's going to take it away, and then it's, it becomes really clear he's really talking about Ephraim in verse eleven. He's going to take away their feast days and uh, all the fun they have from it and everything else. Um, uh, but then uh, he comes talking about when it's going to work out well again. And in verse 15, and I will give her her vineyards from thence. Right. So verse 14, therefore, behold, I will allure her. So he's talking about Gomer, but Gomer is standing as a symbol for all of Ephraim and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. So 
after she's realized she's miserable, he's going to woo her again, as it were. God is going to woo Israel. Hosea will woo Gomer. And then I will give her vineyards from thence in the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. So he's talking about this renewal of covenant and how happy they are and so on. Now, I love verse 16. And it shall be at that day. Well, let's before I read it, let's let's make it clear. When God wants to explain our covenant with him, the most common comparison he makes is a marriage covenant again and again and again. And, and really, the whole book of Hosea is that he's comparing Hosea and Gomer's marriage to his covenant with us. And so keep that in mind as we read verse 16. It shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi and shalt no more call me Baali. So these are two words that are used for husband. Baal, and that's the name of God, but it's because it's a word. And the word means Lord or master. Mm -hmm. Master is a good way of saying it, but it's the same word as Lord. Um, well, one of the same words as Lord. So master is a good way. All right. And that is one word that could be used in, in Hebrew for a husband, but not the best kind of relationship and and probably often uh, when you've married someone who's not who's a servant or something like that but we don't really know exactly when but that's what baali is whereas ish is the word for man so uh, baali is my master and ishi is my man they both are words for husband but know what he's saying at that point you call me my man instead of my master our relationship changes when you're really keeping the covenant it changes the way we relate with each other. And that's what the covenant is about. And I love the way you get that when you you just change the word for husband to the the, the more tender word for husband rather than the, uh, the subservient word, because that's not what marriages are supposed to be, but right. sometimes were, right? We want the Ishi, not the Baali kind of relationship. That's great. And I know that you, you use this... Uh... President Nelson does this, and you in your book also use this. The marriage covenant is a is a uh, is a is a great another great parallel. You can say yeah. it's, it's the it's the loyalty, it's the devotion to that one person that you are that you are in the covenant with, and and there's a lot of things that come along with that. That you know when you when you have that loyalty and that that bond, um, things go much better. You're not just living together. You're not just uh, partners, you are tied together in a covenant. And you're tied together in a, in a marriage. Yeah. That's yeah. very good. So, so let's like look you. at, yeah, go ahead. Uh, let's look at Ephraim's reaction. And I assume this is what happened for Gomer as well. But at this point, God starts to really focus on Israel or Ephraim, right? So he's going to say Ephraim, but it means all of Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go at the end of chapter five. Um, Verse 13, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wounds, so he's talking about both. Then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to King Jerob, yet, yet he could not heal you nor cure you of your wounds. So he's still looking elsewhere to, to be healed, right? Um, then verse 15, and I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face and their affliction. They will seek me early. So finally, when they've tried to find worldly ways to meet their needs, and, and again, this is the same thing President Nelson was talking about in his Sunday talk in general conference. When they're looking to the world to meet their needs and it's not working, eventually they will come to God. And that brings us to chapter six. This is what Ephraim will say when they recognize finally that God is where the, and that covenant is where their happiness is, not the world. And verse one, come and let us return unto the Lord, for he has torn and he will heal us. He has smitten and he will bind us up. You, you see the imagery there? This idea that he, yeah. he punished us, but he'll make it better. And he right. punished us for a reason. So this is, God doesn't punish just for the sake of justice, although justice has to happen. And he doesn't punish because he's angry. It's punishment with a purpose. Right. All of God's punishment is punishment with a purpose. And the purpose is to get us to come back to him so he can heal us and bind us up. That's right. Yeah, and again, it, you you were talking about it earlier we uh, we as parents are not punishing someone you know um sending them to the room you know um uh grounding him or whatever it's not a punishment because we just want to see them suffer no. it is you've got to recognize where you are um if you know who uh, george durant is oh yeah um, he, he was my mtc mission president and we me, taught together at byu yeah me too uh, he was yeah. my mtc president as well uh, we were in the same very close same yeah. time and um 
and I, I have all his books. And I used to talk to him here and there, and I would see him at BYU, and he's just a great guy. And he would say, yeah. he would say, uh, um, he he said, I think it's in his talk called "Be Thou a Masterful Teacher," and he I think it's where it's at. But he talks about different roles that you have in the church, and he said, I was a stake president, and and uh, it was my job to be the foghorn because um, what in, in in a foggy day. Uh, when you don't know where the shore is, the, the ships don't want to hear pleasantries. They want to know where the rocks are. And I was the foghorn. I was going to let them know where the rocks are. Here's the problems. Stay away from these things. And I've always thought that that's a great analogy as well. Sometimes yeah. you got to know, hey, this is where the rocks are. This is the problems that you're going to run into. And if you go here, it's going to be worse than you think. So yeah. you got to knock it off. And so if you're grounding someone or, you know, whatever punishment you might be doing, again, it's not for the sake of like, well, you, you didn't do what I said, so I'm going to make you suffer. It's like, I said what I said, because I'm trying to tell you what the, what the right path is. This is what the right path is. As a human, you've got to get on this path. <laughs> if you're going to get along in this world. Wow. I, I, it, that's perfectly said. Now look at what, what God says in verse four. Yeah, this it's is just, great. This is what I want to get to, too. It's yeah. going to tie back into Hesed. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? Oh, Judah, what shall I do unto thee? And you can just hear, and I mean, I think every parent at some point has said, I mean, what am I going to do? I keep asking you, and you're not changing, right? Um, then he says, for your goodness is as a morning cloud. So that's that's like the little mist, the cloud that forms because there's been evaporation, and then when the heat really comes, it's gone, right? Right. So he is a morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goeth away. And we've all seen this. Like, we ask you guys, we ask you to do this differently, and you did well for like a few minutes, and then you were back fighting again. Yeah, what happened? Right. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> right. And, uh, and he says, therefore, have I hewed them with the prof by the prophets, and I've slain them by the words of my mouth. So he's, he's telling them, I've had to really come down hard on you, and I'm going to have to go more. And he says, thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth, for I desired, and this is chesed here, I desired chesed and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So you see what he's saying? I had chesed on you and I wanted you to have chesed on each other. And instead, you made sacrifices, but you didn't take care of each other the way that I asked you to. Yeah, but they, like men, have transgressed the covenant and they've dealt treacherously against me. Uh, that's, that's a rough thing to hear. I think, but it is exactly what's what's going on. So yeah, this verse when he says, "For I desired mercy," this is this is the Lord speaking. Yeah. Through, through Hosea, for I desired mercy. So, do we really offer the Lord mercy? Again, that's the translation is not perfect there because that's no. what you're saying. And, and it's I and it is chesed. Yeah, I yeah, that's why I marked it in mine also. Yeah. The Lord didn't desire mercy. He he desired the. The loving relationship, I just I wanted reciprocal love back from you, not the sacrifice. I didn't want the it, the, the sacrifice was only to bring you me in the first place. It wasn't about yeah. you know slaughtering the lamb or or doing any of the different things or the different rituals or the different things. That's not a, saying that we shouldn't do those things. Those things are are part of the symbolism that we do to keep us on that path, to keep that you know keep to be reminded of those things. But that's not what I wanted. What I wanted from you was the loving bond that, that I acted with, not the sacrifice, the knowledge yeah. of God more than burnt offerings. I wasn't looking for those things. Those things were only the the physical part that brought you to me. And instead, you're still doing the physical things, but your hearts are not in it. You're not Good. with me. Good. And I think you're right. I mean, I only mentioned one aspect of it, but I think you're 100% right. So when he says, I desired chesed, uh, I mentioned he wanted us to have chesed for each other. And I think that's accurate. But I think, but that especially when you see this, parallelism here the mercy uh so sacrifice and burnt offerings are in parallel with each other and mercy and knowledge of god are in parallel with each other so i think you're right that the emphasis is on i wanted you to be in this chesed relationship with me the way i was in it with you i wanted you to have that same kind of feeling back towards me that i had towards you right i wanted your heart in it yeah not the in other words the i wanted you to love god with all your heart might mind and strength right right it's great that you show up at, at church and you take the sacrament and you and you do these things. Yeah, you teach your primary we, class. Yeah, great. But but are, are we doing it grudgingly? Yeah. Okay, so you did do these things, but are you doing it grudgingly? Are you are you grumbling about it? Are you doing just the minimum that you can call get away with? It's not about the things that you about just doing the things you're told to do. It's about 
doing it with the right heart, the spirit. There, here's the spirit and the letter of the law. All these things are intertwined in this one. I wanted your heart into it, not just the sacrifice. I wanted you the, the knowledge. I wanted you to know me, and that's that knowledge. That's the know. That's the that's the intimate relationship that we have with God. We, I wanted you to know me and not know about me. Right. Um, I wanted you know. So I wanted these things more than that. I, I know you can. I know you can say the things in Sunday school, and you can read this and go to church, whatever. That's great. But I wanted you to know about me, not just, I mean, I wanted you to know me personally, have a relationship. I wanted the relationships, what it is, what he's saying. I want the relationship, not, not the, not just learn about me and know about me. Amen. That's exactly, exactly right. All right. So with, well, with all that in mind, I think we should jump to chapter 14 and, and just kind of uh, wind this up, but there's some beautiful things in chapter 14. Great. So if we go to verse one, um, this is a phrase that you find all over. In, in fact, we just saw it in, in some of these earlier chapters, but you find it all over in the scriptures. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. This plea to turn or return to him is all over in scriptures. It's what God says in the Old Testament more than just about anything else. Please come back. Uh, uh, that's such a beautiful message. So again, I find this, despite how terrible Israel has been, and despite the fact that they are going to have to be scattered and uh, destroyed and scattered, God's not done with them. He's never done with them. He's, he'll work with those individuals in the hereafter. He'll continue to work with Israel as a whole for 2,500 years, and he's finally gathering them in our day. And so he's just asking them, come back to us. Um, let's go down to verse 4. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. That, that's so beautiful. We all backslide. Right, Jeremiah used that phrase more than most, but here Hosea is using it. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Uh, he talks about in verse 5 and uh, 5 through 7 is, are more images of him just taking care of them. And he's using trees and things like this as an image of how he takes care of them. But I love especially verse 8. This is the prophecy. This is what will happen to Ephraim, or in other words, to all of Israel. This is their future, which is our current day. Mm -hmm. All right, so Hosea's future is our current day. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do anymore with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir, for me is thy fruit found. So meaning I've heard God, I'm observing God. I know God's the one that takes care of me. This is what we know is happening for Israel now. Israel's being gathered because Israel is saying, I'm done with idols. I'm done with the ideas of the world. Now, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is this. We know this is going to happen for Israel as a whole. The question is, will it happen for you as a covenant individual? Are you going to say, Israel as a whole will say it, are you going to say, I'm done with idols? What have I to do anymore with idols? And are you going to come back to God so he can heal your backsliding and love you freely? Now, he loves you anyway, but that chesed, is available when we are really in a covenant relationship. And it's going to happen for all of Israel. Let's each of us make sure it happens for us. Doesn't matter what we've done. Doesn't matter how ding-dongy we've been or <laughs> anything along those lines. The, because of chesed, the chance is still there for us. You don't, have, you don't have the capacity to sin in such a terrible way. Unless you're going to deny the Holy Ghost after having all sorts of light and so on. I think most of us aren't in that position. So for most of us, there's just no way you can send to where you're beyond reach. God will love you and bring you back when you're ready to say, what have I to do anymore with idols? And that's a beautiful promise. And that's why I find Hosea so uplifting. It helps us see that God does punish, but he punishes with a purpose. And he is so, so, so quick. You look how often when he said something wrong or said something that they were bad that was going to happen to them that he immediately talked about the good. He is so quick to forgive and accept us back. I find that so beautiful and so uplifting. I, perfect. I mean, that we have found the light in, in Hosea. Amongst all the darkness, it really is about the light. And so let's not get caught up on the, on the bummer parts, but more focus on, the, on the, how the Lord wants to recover us. And so I would say this to my seminary kids all the time. What can we do? Um, today, this week, this month, that will help us on this path? What are the things that we can do this month? might be simple. I mean, I know that we get the primary answers, you know, read your scriptures, whatever. Do it. But what can we do this month? What can we do today, this week, that will make us on this path? Whether it's making an appointment at the temple, you haven't been for a while, or 
or do something that you weren't you weren't doing before or recommit to something you know what even if it's small let's make these small things work in our lives until they become like it says here again we talked about the do it's funny you use the word do because do remember disappeared right away but yeah. now he says i will do into israel uh and will grow as a lily so now that do is a is um is uh, it's is the water moisture. that gives them life yeah, yeah. yeah. life and now it turns into a uh, cast forth its roots as lebanon so now he's talking about it grows into something that do doesn't disappear it stays and it grows and it contributes to the, the greening of that life and again i'm like a fir a green fir tree so now again that dew that was disappearing with the sun is now sinking in and it is helping israel to grow or these people to grow or the life to grow or the the testimony the the knowing God, the Hesed that we're talking about. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So I hope to tell your wonderful sister-in-law who was so kind as to give you that book that will help <laughs> you fall asleep while you read it. Oh, um, it is old not. It's good. It's <laughs> a good tell book. Your, I've got into it already, but. <laughs> well, tell her that, that we hope that this, uh, that she can highlight for people how quickly the, the hurt turns to love in Hosea and uh about the redemption of gomer and and uh, the redemption of ourselves and and hopefully it's helpful for her and everyone that's been listening well i think it was i think it helped out uh i think it helped her out the, and that's why she got the book in advance of uh of doing it because again we that's what we talked about i'm like there is light in there i know it's dark but there is light in there and that's uh so i was glad that she called me because it kind of helped me set up my thoughts for this one is like hey let's get through some of that stuff and look for the light and find that uh that testimony yeah. Well, bless you and her. <laughs> hey, thanks so much, Carrie. It's been great. We won't get to Joel today, but that's okay. Yeah, I'll uh, do a little focus. short cast on Joel. So yeah, it, it's a, it's only a few chapters anyway, but it has great things in there. Not to not to take away from it, but the, I'll be look forward to you know, to hearing your uh, your your uh, lesson on uh, or your short cast, your solo cast, whatever on uh, on that uh, on on Joel. But I really enjoyed being with you about Hosea, and uh, I hope that we internalize this and don't get cast off uh stick with it return um make that covenant and and strengthen that covenant yeah and be healed from your backsliding and bound up <laughs> your backslide exactly yeah. all right thanks so much carrie and thanks again for joining us on the scriptures are real i hope this was helpful to you i hope that you find somebody else that uh, you could share that with and um we can help this message get out to people who could really use some help and healing thanks again for joining us